I want to share with you today, continuing in our mindfulness series, biblical mindfulness, a message um, called Breaking the Cycle of Financial Worry. Money is something that we all have to deal with. It's It doesn't matter whether we have a small amount, whether we have a large amount, we all have to handle it through our daily lives. And as many as 80% of people have admitted to having trouble sleeping at night simply because they are worried and anxious about their financial situations. It also might surprise you to know that the number one reason for divorce in this country are issues and friction around the topic of finance. It's not infidelity, it's money issues. And so financial stress and worry can have all sorts of effects on us. It can affect our health and well-being. You know, we can get sick because of stress. And when we get sick, then we may not be able to work. And then when we can't work, we begin to worry more about it. And the cycle just keeps going on and on and on. At the moment, we're in an economic downturn. We have a global pandemic, uh, uh, you know, that we're facing. And we have no shortage of things to worry about and be anxious for. Some might say that financial worry and stress is just a normal part of life that we have to get used to and accommodate. Or is it? I want to share with you today some principles that I believe will really help you break this cycle of worry um, so that it can be something that you're free from. I want to read today from Matthew 6 and from verse 25. It says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? And can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And do not worry about clothes. See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. And yet, I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed as one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown onto the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Every day has trouble of its own. So we have this whole section here, seven or eight verses or so, that is not a suggestion to us, it's not a recommendation to us, but it's a direct command from God. Do not worry. And so if God is telling us not to do this, why is it that we have such a hard time and sometimes it just feels impossible to achieve? Something that helps me a lot when I'm reading a passage and I want to get a little bit more depth and understanding is that I have a look at what comes before it 
and then I have a look at what comes after it to give me some context and perspective. And so I want to take you right the way back to verse 1 of chapter 6 because I see some really key points that will enable us to break this cycle of worry. And Jesus starts to warn us about certain patterns of behavior in our lives. So the first pattern that he warns us about is that our focus is not on God. So from verse 1 to 4, he talks about giving to the needy. And in verse 5 to 15, he talks about prayer. And then in verses 16 to 18, he talks about fasting. Now, all of these are really good things for us to engage with their godly activities. And yet, in each one of these, Jesus issues this warning. Don't be a hypocrite when you give, when you pray, when you fast. What was he getting at here? The very act itself, as I've said, is a good thing. It's a godly thing that he wants us to participate in. But the motive for the action was completely wrong. In each of these instances, what we see is him saying, don't give, don't pray, don't fast and make a big deal of it so that everybody pays attention to you, so that you're getting everybody's affection and you're getting their pat on the back. Whose attention are you seeking? What is the motive behind these actions? The focus had shifted from the person that these actions were intended for to other people and other things. And so Jesus was saying to them, look, get your focus, get your attention back onto God so that these actions are now honoring God and we are serving him and engaging him in the way that he intends. One of the things that we can do to test our motives in whatever area we serve is to ask ourselves, if I'm giving to the needy or if I'm praying or if I am fasting, whatever the activity may be, how do I feel knowing that only God might know that I have done that? And it's a really good test of our motives. And I just want to add that it is okay for people to know that we have done these things because what Jesus was driving at was the motive behind it. Am I doing this simply for God and to honor him and to further his purposes and will? Or am I doing this to engage people around me so that I get admiration from them? We may be going through the motions in good, godly Christian activities, we could be even tithing every week and every month, but have we lost sight of the reason why God asks us to do it? That it's about submission to him and his authority and an expression of our obedience. Now, interestingly, in verse 8, which is in the middle of the prayer section, Jesus has just warned them about not praying like a hypocrite, and he's about to give them a model of prayer. And he says this, God already knows exactly what you need. Now this is how I want you to pray. And this prayer model doesn't start by us giving our petition to God and saying, God, I need this. This is a problem. Can you help me with this? Our prayer model starts by us acknowledging who God is. God is our Father and He is holy. His name is hallowed. Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. So Jesus is immediately shifting our focus back onto the one that this is all about. 
despite what we're going through, despite whatever need we may have, he's pointing our focus back to God and then encourages us to ask for our daily bread. The second pattern that I see Jesus bringing out is the need for a correct mindset towards finances, a godly mindset towards finances. Now, just before we continue in Matthew 6, I want to show you in the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, we are warned that an incorrect value system and mindset in the area of our finances has the possibility of rendering the seed unfruitful in our lives. It says this from verse 18, and others are ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries and cares of the world, the distractions of this age and its worldly pleasures, and the deceitfulness and false security of wealth, and the passionate desire for all other things creeps in, chokes out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So God, uh, Jesus has been talking about, you know, giving to the needy prayer and fasting and now starts to narrow in on the issue of finance and how we handle it. So in verse 19 to 24, it's probably labeled in your Bibles as treasure in heaven. And again, we're not given a, a, a few sentences of suggestions or recommendations. We are given direct orders. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So he's getting our focus not only to be on God in our activities, but now in the area of our finances, getting our attention off of what we have, the resources that are entrusted to us by God, and to get our focus on extending his kingdom, storing treasure in heaven. What we have here is temporary, and he tells us it will be lost. In one way or another, you will lose it, and we know we don't get to take these things with us. So our focus is to be on God's kingdom. You see, what happens when our focus is on that which we have around us, that which God provides for us, if our focus is in that, then we begin to worry about how we attain it. We then begin to worry about how we maintain it. And once we've maintained it, then we begin to worry about how can I attain even more? And then we have to worry about how we maintain even more. You see, sometimes we have this mindset that if we had a huge amount of money, that all our worries would go away. And actually, they don't. Because when our focus is on the money, then we worry about how we keep hold of it and how we continue to produce it. And then Jesus comes to verse 21. And he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God wants our focus not to be on our treasure, not to be on our lifestyle, not to be on the things around us. Why? Because he knows that if our focus is there, our heart will be there as well. And he wants our heart to be completely focused on him. And so our treasure needs to be focused on him. And now just before we get to verse 25 that I started with about not worrying, Jesus then gives us one last 
comment that I feel is extremely strong and powerful. He says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. You'll either love one and hate the other, despise one and um, love the other one. So what I see here is that there is no other option. It is God or mammon. Mammon was a Syrian god of riches and represented wealth and materialism, consumerism, greed, all of the very things that God is saying have the ability to render the seed unfruitful in your life. And so he's given us this choice. Your resources, your finances, everything that you have are either completely submitted to me and serving me, or if they are not, then by default, they are serving mammon. Our society today is driven by the values of mammon. Mammon is looking intently for people to serve it. It wants your attention. It is fighting for your attention all the time. But God is saying, will you serve me? Will you put this under my submission and authority? So we've had some very strong warnings from Jesus. And then he comes to verse 25 and he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. The word therefore means for that very reason that we've just been talking about, the focus on God, the lack of focus on what we have here and now. For those very reasons, do not worry. And he goes on to reinforce his deep, deep love for us and affection and his promise of provision. Are you not worth more than the birds of the air, the grass of the field and the flowers that I would not provide for you? Do you not have faith to believe that I would not provide for you, that I'm, you mean so much to me? In order for us to really begin to break down this cycle of worry in our finances, we have to be prepared to address these very issues that Jesus has been talking about. A correct godly focus in the things that we do and, an and a correct value system around how we think about the possessions that we have. You see, when we don't accept and live out our lives as godly stewards of his resources, what happens is we allow ourselves to be so consumed by worrying and the pressure of providing for ourselves that we end up carrying a burden that God did not design us to bear. You were not made to worry about provision because that's God's role. Your role in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2 says that you are to be found a faithful steward of God's resources. You are not meant to carry that burden. So God's responsibility is to provide and our responsibility is to manage well. Now, the key to us unlocking this and being able to progress and break this cycle is found in verse 33. And I'm reading this to you from the Amplified Version. But first, and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after God's kingdom and God's righteousness, God's way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God. And then 
all the things that he's already said he knows we need, and then those things will be added to you also. This is the point in our lives when we move from an ownership mentality that says everything is mine, the pressure is mine, it's my responsibility to sort everything out, to one of stewardship where we recognize that it is God who has created and still owns everything, that he has simply asked us to manage on his behalf and to adopt his mindset and his value system. And we get to submit every single area of our lives, including our finances, to him for his glory. You know, every month or every week, depending on how often you get paid, we have this opportunity to say, God first, before anything else. It requires faith. It's a little bit of a test. But it's every, every time we do that, we're giving over control back to God. We're not retaining it. We're not saying, I'm living under my system of doing things and it's all my responsibility. I'm saying, God, you are in charge. You have said you will provide. You have said that you will protect for me. And I am honoring you in that every single month. We move from being an owner to a steward. Can I just invite the worship team to come back at this point? I want to read to you a section in Hebrews that really highlights just how much God loves you and cares for you before we go into a final song of worship. Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6, again in the Amplified Version, says this. Let your character, your moral essence, your inner nature be free from the love of money. Shun greed. Be financially ethical. Being content with what you have. For God has said, I will never, under any circumstances, desert you. Nor will I ever give you, um, give you up or leave you without support. Nor will I in any degree leave you helpless. Nor will I forsake or let you down or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. So we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently say, the Lord is my helper in time of need. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? I want you to hear those words that God is saying, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I have your back, but you have to be focused on me. You have to surrender to me. You have to give this part of your life over to me. The song we're going to finish with and worship with is Psalm 23, The Lord is My Shepherd. And because the Lord is my shepherd, we will lack nothing because he is our shepherd. I want you to hear that. I want you to lay that at his feet today. Begin to release yourself from the burden that you have put upon yourself that God did not design you to carry. And so it will be impossible for you to carry. God knows every single need that you have. Every single one. His promises, his provision are true. And no one and nothing 
including an economic crisis and global pandemic, can change that. Nothing can change God's promise and his, his promise of provision over your life. Don't carry this burden. Choose instead to adopt his mindset. Choose to surrender it at his feet and saying, God, I'm giving this over to you because this is the only way that I can be a faithful steward. Take off the ownership cap that has been weighing me down for so long. Realign my focus on you in every activity that I do. Realign my focus on you rather than on the things that you have chosen to bless and entrust to me. Because this is how we break the worry cycle in our finances from our lives. God bless you, BCC. As we worship, just allow God to prompt you and begin to pour your heart out and lay these things at his feet. Let's worship him.